All right, our theme, our theme has been on hope, and the passage is taken from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 to verse 8. And for the next few months, we will continue to concentrate and focus on this passage. There's so much in this passage of Scripture, especially in uh, chapter uh, 17, verse 7 to 8. But as uh, uh, the, the, the previous week, I have shared about the, the, the context of this passage, and we have talked about blessings or curse, all right, blessing or curse. And the key, there is a key to the blessings of God. And this morning, I would like to ask you a very, very important question. In fact, it's the most important question in your life. It will determine your health, your well-being, your success, your victory. The most important question, maybe very few people have ever asked you that, but I consider it as one of the most important questions in life that we have to ask ourselves, not just once, but frequently. Now, in the 1930s, when people meet, they used to greet each other with a question, how's your back? How's your back? Because they worked so hard. In the 1930s, they worked so hard until many people have their back been affected. So common question is, how's your back? Now, we Chinese here, have you eaten? We are concerned more about the stomach. Alright, but today I think a more appropriate question that we need to ask ourselves is not how's your stomach or how's your back, but rather how's your heart? How's your heart? And that's what I'd like to share on this morning from Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 to verse 10. Bible here says, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is perhaps one of the most popular, one of the most well-known passages in the Scripture. Although it's put negatively, but a lot of old-time Christians, they know this verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Continue on in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Again, here is the heart. The heart that really matters. Now that, nowadays, there are a lot of songs about the heart. Songs like, I left my heart in San Francisco. Hmm. <laughs> songs like, you break my heart. And I think it was Britney Spears who sang that song, Email my heart. Are we talking about those kind of hearts? No, no, no. Definitely not. There are many phrases that we use 
whereby the heart is involved. I love you with all my heart. Why the heart? There are many other uh, uh, phrases like, you know, she's such a warm person. He's such, uh, he, he, she is such a warm-hearted person. He is such a cold-hearted person. And when you want to be more serious, we say, let's have a heart-to-heart talk. Now, that's serious already, a heart-to-heart talk. So the word heart is commonly used. But let's look into the Bible about the heart and what the Bible says about the heart. The heart is actually the most important thing in life. Most important thing. Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of our heart are the issues of life. That's how important it is. Another version says, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. The heart holds the secret. Everything. Nothing excluded. Compared with other versions. In the NIV, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. New Living Translation, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's how important it is. Where your life goes, where it is headed, the end result of it is determined by your heart. Not by your mind, not by your skill, not by your talent, but by your heart. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts in the Message Bible. And so our life is not determined by our intelligence, by our appearance, by our wealth what we do, where we stay, what kind of car we drive. Everything issues from the heart. And yet, we hardly ask the question, how's your heart? If it is so important, it is also the most neglected. No wonder we are so impoverished. No wonder we are so weak. No wonder, no wonder we have not entered into the wellsprings of life. It is the most important thing. But what are we talking when we talk about the heart? In the secular definition or the encyclopedia or the dictionary definition of the heart is, it is that muscular organ that pumps blood to all parts of the body. The rhythmic beating of the heart is a ceaseless activity lasting from before birth to the end of life. We're talking about the heart that pumps blood throughout your whole body. Never stops beating. The moment it stops beating, you die. But we are not talking about this physical heart here. We are talking something that is deeper than that. The heart is who we really are. When the Bible uses the word heart, it talks about being the seed of our emotions, 
our mind, our will. Joseph Wells says it is a place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. And in the Old Testament usage, the heart signifies a total being. It includes everything, the reason, the emotion, the will. And it is from the heart come action and will. Jeremiah 17.10 talks about the heart. God searches the heart. God tests the mind. The heart and the mind is used synonymously there. It's not like just talking about two different things. When David prayed and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Again, he's talking about the same thing. Many times the word heart is used synonymously to mean the same thing as the spirit and the soul. In other words, while we are talking about the heart, is the person. There's nothing more important than your inner heart, what's in your heart. And the word heart is so important that it is found in over 800 verses in the Bible. It must be very important for it to be mentioned so often in the Bible. Some examples. The Bible talks about a broken heart, a clean heart, a contrite heart, a double heart, a despiteful heart, a deceived heart, an evil heart, a faint heart, a faithful heart, a fat heart, fat as grease, huh? not a you know, size, a fearful heart. The Bible talks about a fool's heart, a free heart, a forward, a perverse heart, a good heart, a hard heart. And yes, God, the Bible constantly talks about who, those whose hearts are hardened and it happened even among the disciples. A haughty heart, heavy heart, hypocritical heart, hardness of heart, honest heart, impenitent heart, a merry heart that doeth good as a medicine, a new heart, an obstinate heart, a proud heart, a perverse heart, a not perfect heart, a perfect heart, a pure heart, a heart that is not right, a rebellious heart, a snared heart, a stout heart, a stony heart, a soft heart. A sound heart, a tender heart, a thorny heart, a trembling heart, a true heart, an understanding heart, a wicked heart, a wayside heart, a weak heart, a warish heart, a willing heart, and a wise heart. And these are just a few examples with all the scriptural references. The heart is so important that God actually lose at the heart more than anything else. In fact, that's about the only thing that God looks for in a person. You know the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. When God is looking for a king, Saul, has fallen. And the sons of Jesse were brought before Samuel. And he thought, surely this is the one. He looks tall, handsome, intelligent. God says, no. And he went on down, down the line. And God says, the Lord does not see as man sees. 
For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, what does he look for? He looks at the heart. We look at outward appearance. That's not the way God selects his people. God looks at the heart. In this world nowadays that we live in, outward appearance is the thing. We look at outward appearance, isn't it? Now the presidential election in America is over. Donald Swamp, Donald Swamp, Donald Trump <laughs> has been sworn in. I wanted to use the word sworn in. All right, Donald Trump has been sworn in as the forty-fifth president, and you know how he was elected. You know, I think, you know, it was basically based on a lot of technology tweeting. Social media, he used that to the maximum. And the presidential debates are important. There were three presidential debates, and everybody watched. You know, you know, uh, they scrutinized even the candidate Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Some say he won on some and lost on the other. But it all started in 1960, actually. In 1960. The race was between Nixon and John F. Kennedy. Nixon was the, has the has the has the benefit of being an incumbent, although he was just a vice president. Nixon belonged to the Democratic Party, and the president was Eisenhower, and uh, he has served his two terms as president already. And he cannot run for the third term. He was the first president who cannot run for the third term because he was in the constitution. And so the race was very intense. And many observers says that you know the determining factor was the introduction of television in those days in 1960. And John F. Kennedy maximized the use of television. And for the first time, the presidential debates were televised on TV to the American audience or to the American people. And some people say that Nixon lost because in that image that they saw, he was sweating, a sweat, some sweat on your brow can cause you to lose the presidential race. They say, and, and there was shadow on his face, and there was sweat. On the other hand, John F. Kennedy, you know his personality. You know he was beaming, he was smiling, and he has that kind of charisma projected strongly on television. Those who saw on television says that John F. Kennedy won the debate, but those who heard on radio says Nixon won the debate. It's all about the image that people saw. And from then on until even today, it is largely determined by that. And as you know, John F. Kennedy won the presidential race, but only by a very thin margin, by just a difference of 100,000 in the popular votes. It was close. If not for television, 
he could have lost. And from that day onwards, image is everything. I wonder, I think, you know, if the sons of Jesse and David was presented before the people on TV, they would say, ah, David, out of the picture. But the image that they saw, because the other sons of Jesse, they were, no, no, they were other good-looking people. But God says, I do not look at our appearance. How do we choose our candidates? How do we cast our votes? What kind of leader do we want? God says, I want a leader whose heart is right. The character, the integrity of the person. So God says, I look at the heart. In the church, it's still today. It's still the same today. In the kingdom of God, it's still the same today. God wants to bless His people. But He looks at the heart, first and foremost. And He wants our heart. God wants our heart. My son, give me your heart. The heart is what God desires to have. The heart is the first and foremost thing which God asks man to give him. And friends, there are some things in life that you give to no one but God and God alone. And the heart is that one thing. God is not keen in your money, in your property. And sometimes, even a service without a heart, God is not pleased. What He wants is your heart. And until we give God our heart, we have given Him nothing at all. Just like a wife or a husband. What does a spouse want most? The heart of the other person, isn't it? Some say, oh, no, you don't know my wife. My wife, I think, loves my money more than me. There are some who are like that. But at the heart, at the core of it all, what they want is still the heart. Because when you have the heart, you have everything. Everything. And that's why God wants our heart more than anything else. You may say, only the heart. It ain't much, but it's all I get. I got, I give it to you, Lord. And God will say, it's all I ever wanted. That's all that God asks of us today. And that's the most important thing in life, actually. We think that it is nothing. But that's the very core of who we are. The heart. While it is the most important thing, the number one problem is also the heart. It is the most important and it is the number one problem. As somebody has said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
What irony it is. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the problem. Another version says, the heart is more treacherous than anything else and is desperate. And the Bible says the heart is deceitful. The word deceitful here means corrupt, polluted. And it says desperately wicked. That means it is incurable. Another version will say the heart is incurable. It is polluted, it is corrupted, it is useless. And it is incurable. Wow. You see, the problem is the human heart. And you look in society today, the problem is that of the human heart. Those in positions of power, the problem is that of the human heart. Corruption, dictatorship. It's all about the human heart. When it says deceitful above all things, that means it is the most wicked of all things. It is the most important, yes, at the same time, it is the most wicked above all things. There's nothing else to compare with the heart. It is deceitful above all deceit. The heart is prone to lying. You don't have to teach little children how to lie. They know how to lie. Adults, they lie all the time. Christians, hey, what about Christians? We don't lie, right? We don't lie. We only tell white lies. Little lies here and there. Boss asks, why are you late? Oh, I was caught in a traffic jam. It's a traffic jam. The traffic jam is not a problem. It's because you left your house late. Why didn't you do the thing? The job, the project. Oh, I forgot. You didn't forget. You just don't want to do it. Or you were playing around. And when we see drug addiction in the streets, we got, drug, we got not just a drug problem, it's a heart problem. Snatch thieves. We got serious heart problem. And I can go down the list. When we do not Read the Bible. We've got serious heart problem. When we don't want to pray at all, there's a heart problem. It's a heart condition. When, our, when we begin to, to, to just run after the things of the world and have no place for God, no time for God, no time to serve God, it's a heart problem. Problem. 
Oh, we deceive ourselves. We say, but I'm busy. But I have to take care of my family. But I have to do this and this. Deceitful above all things. There will be a thousand and one reasons and excuses that you can find. You look into pornographic scenes or pictures downloaded from the computer and say, oh, only one time. I will, I, I, and, and I will not be caught in it. Deceitful. Dangerous. Treacherous. And that's the condition of the heart. The source of all human difficulty is the human heart. Relationship problems. It's a heart. That's why it's so important for us to recognize even this source of our problems. In fact, every sin begins in the heart. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Everything begins in the heart. It's a hard problem. And yet, we are not aware of it many times. We are not conscious of it any time. Or we push aside. We have to deal with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem, as identified not just in this uh, passage, but also even in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, those whose heart have departed from the Lord. So what is Jeremiah talking about here? The heart. And does it apply? Is it true of the believer that the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful? Now when Jeremiah is talking here, of course it applies to all human hearts. But it applies especially to those whose hearts are alienated from God. Those who have put their trust in the human heart and whose heart have departed from the Lord. That kind of person, Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, the person is cursed. But what about the believer? What about the Christians? You see, God has promised a new covenant to His people, found in Ezekiel chapter 36. And God says in Ezekiel 36 verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God knows the problem. The number one problem is a heart of stone, a deceitful heart, a wicked heart. A heart of stone is a heart that is cold, dead, lifeless. God says, I will give you life instead. And He says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. In other words, God says, I'm going to do a heart transplant. Ever heard about heart transplant? 
We're not talking about heart surgeries, bypass and all that. Some of you have gone through that and you know the experience of it. Ooh, it's not easy. But heart transplants is even more uh, 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 risky. The first heart transplant was done in 1964. And in the heart was taken from a chimpanzee, planted into a human heart. And that first heart transplant, the person lived for only 17 hours. And then he died. And then in 1967, the next heart transplant was done from a human heart. And the person lived for 18 days. And then he died. But it was only in 19... 68, one year later, that a successful heart transplant was done and the person lived for eight months. And then the really successful one was done in the 1980s on a two-year-old kid and the person survived. So heart transplant technology actually is still quite new. It's just about 30, 40 years old. But in God's plan, it has been around for a long, long time. From the days of Ezekiel, God says, I see your heart. It is deceitful, it is wicked. What can I do? He says, it is incurable. All right, the Bible says, it is incurable. So what does God do? He gives you a new heart. Not a physical one, all right? We are talking about spiritual here. He gives you a new heart. A heart of flesh. A heart that will desire after me. A heart that will do my commandments. And follow my decree. And this change of heart is the work of God. Max Lucado says, says, the idea of a spiritual heart transplant is a vivid image to me. Once you have the heart of somebody else inside you, then that heart is there. Jesus' heart is inside me. And my heart, my old deceitful heart is gone. So if God were to place a stethoscope against my chest, He would hear the heart of Jesus Christ beating. That's the heart transplant we are talking about. The heart of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. God says, I will give you a new heart. And the cross is the answer to our heart problem. John Eldredge says, most Christians are still living with an Old Testament view of their heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, my heart is deceitfully wicked. Yes, before you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But not after the work of Christ because the promise of the new covenant is a new heart. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, the pure in heart. As 15, verse 8 to 9, So God who knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And make no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts. God purifies the hearts of the Gentiles. 
Second Corinthians 1 and 2, who also has sealed us and given, given us the Spirit in our hearts. It's a new heart. Ephesians 3, 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So God has granted us a new heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got a new heart. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I've got a new heart, really. You should have seen me before my new heart. You should have seen your friend before your new heart was there. The person does all kinds of things, no conscience at all, and you wouldn't want to be near the person. You wouldn't want to leave your wallet near that person also. Anything can happen. But God has granted us a new heart, a transformed heart. Come on, somebody say glory. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a big hand. That new heart doesn't mean everything is going to be okay. You cannot take things for granted. That's why the Bible still, still exalts us. Above all else, above all else, these are all superlative, all right? Above all else that you do, guard your heart. Guard your heart. We have to take care of the spiritual condition of the heart, although we've got a new heart, all right? But the spiritual condition is very, very important, just like the physical heart. Do you know the number one heart disease, uh, sorry, the number one killer disease in the country? I already told you the answer. The top killer diseases in Malaysia, number one is coronary heart disease. Number two, stroke, also related to the heart. Influenza, pneumonia, HIV, tuberculosis, so on and so forth. But the number one disease, not just in Malaysia, but in most parts of the world, is the heart disease, heart problem. And usually, there are early signs of heart problem. It doesn't have to be fatal. For all of us, we need to be aware of it also. Early signs of a heart attack. The heart attack may come suddenly. While you are working, while you are playing, while you are just walking down the street, driving, anywhere it can happen. But there are usually some early signs. And you need to be aware and take care of it and immediately take action of it if any of these signs appear. Like the jaw pain, Back pain, pain that travels down one or both arms, shortness of breath, feeling of nausea, fatigue, anxiety. If it happens regularly, frequently, hey, better go for a checkup. It may save your life. Don't wait until it's too late. In the same way, we have to guard our heart, our spiritual uh, heart. Proverbs says, above all else, God, your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, that's priority. And wellspring of life, that's the glorious promise. Guarding your heart is more important than anything else. If I were to ask you, what is the most important spiritual discipline in life? Some will say worship, some will say prayer, some will say reading the Bible, some will say going to church. But the most important spiritual discipline of your heart is to, of your life is to guard your heart above all else. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your heart's condition depends on the things you allow into your heart. These things form your thoughts and attitudes and ultimately shape who you are. 
I'm sorry, my time is running up and there's still so much to cover. I have to really go on bullet speed right now. All right? Bullet speed already. God, God, your heart. What do you got against? Sin, stress, selfishness, loss, success, even success. You know, right? Discouragement, doubt, worry, pride, hypocrisy, greed, envy, bitterness, revenge, lust, idolatry, anger. Watch it. If you allow it to enter into your heart, it will affect your heart and your well-being. Samson did not guard his heart. He fall. And a lot of us fall because our hearts were not guarded. When the Bible exhausts us to guard your heart, that means it will come under attack. Satan would use any of these he could in your life to hinder or even paralyze you spiritually. So guard your heart. Don't give Satan even an inch in your heart or in your life. If there is unforgiveness, guard it. Against unforgiveness, get it out. Otherwise, it will affect us. Is your heart right? Acts chapter 8.21, Peter says, to Simon, your heart is not right in the sight of God. How more direct can you get? Your heart is not right before God. Hey, but Simon, the, the former sorcerer, he was just converted. He was on fire for God. He saw Peter doing all the miracles and all he did was, Peter, give me this gift of the Holy Spirit. I want it also. Wow, sounds very spiritual. I want spiritual gifts. But when you ask it for the wrong intention, wrong motive, God says, your heart is not right. And Peter says, you better repent. And you read down, you read the passages, otherwise worse things will come before you. Praise God, from that, from that passage, it seems that Simon did repent. And he says, sorry, so, so sorry, you know, Peter, uh, please pray for me. Even the Pharisees, they worship me. But your heart is far from me, God says. We can go through all the spiritual gymnastics and our heart is still far from God. Is our heart right before God? So we have to guard our heart. Proverbs 4, 23 to 27 again, with our mouth, with our eyes, with our feet, with what we do, with what we allow to enter even through the uh, 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 eye gate. And the psalmist says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. First Peter 3.15 Sanctify the Lord. Crown the Lord. Make Him the Lord of your life. Make Him the master of your life. That's how we guard our heart. But guarding our heart is more than just protection. It includes pursuing and providing. Guarding your heart is more than just feeding uh, uh, is, guarding your heart is more about feeding your soul than just avoiding sin. It is not only about avoiding sin, but what are you pursuing? And that's an important thing. I would like to quickly touch on, even here, the four habits of a heart after God. What are you pursuing? We are talking about 1 Samuel 13, 14. The, Sorry, uh, that was uh, 1 Samuel 16, but this is 1 Samuel 13, 14. The Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. That's what God is looking for, a man after His own heart. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, 
The Lord himself testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. What's so different about David? He is a man that has been selected here in the Bible, the only one. Whereby the Bible says, God himself says, this man has a heart after my heart. There are many men in the Bible, men and women in the Bible, whose heart can be said to be after God. But David is different. Abraham and Joseph, their lives are recorded for us in 14 chapters in the Bible. Jacob, his life is recorded for us in 11 chapters in the Bible. Elijah, his life is recorded for us in 10 chapters in the Bible. But David, his life is recorded for us in 50 chapters of the Bible. 5-0. First Samuel, Second Samuel, Chronicles, and many of the Psalms are attributed to him. If the Bible mentions David so often, surely God has a lesson in it for us. A heart after God. How do we cultivate it? First of all, it is a habit of seeking after God. That is a heart after God. It's always seeking Him. Always seeking Him. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven, O Lord? There's nothing I desire more than thee. That's the heart of David. I desire only you, O God. As a deer panthers for the waters, so my soul longs after thee. That's the heart of the God. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's a spiritual heart. I mean, David, a king, an excellent general, successful businessman, a musician, some writer, and yet he did not seek for all those things. When his heart is seeking after God, God bless him with all those things. Where is your heart? Is it a heart that desires to walk with God? A heart that delights in worship and praise in God? A heart that dwells on the word of the Lord? Psalms 119 tells us that. And that's David. No wonder God says, look, look, this is a man that is after my heart. He's always seeking after me. He's a God chaser. He chases after God. 
more than anything else. And that kind of a heart, God delights in. John Wesley was 21 years old when he studied in Oxford. A snobbish, sarcastic, born into a Christian family, but didn't really have had that relationship with God. But one day he had that encounter, a chance conversation with a poor porter that changes his life. And he met that porter, poor, shabby, had only one change of clothing, no second change even, no extra clothing, nowhere to place his head, roam the streets, and yet he was so happy. He was so thankful to God. He was always praising God. And John Wesley sarcastically asked him, and what else do you have to be grateful to God for? And the man happily says, well, I am so thankful to God that I have my life. I have my being. I'm so thankful to God that I can live to praise Him. And all that I desire is just to serve Him. And that changed Wesley's life. A poor man who has nothing in this world and yet whose heart is so, so after God, so thankful, so worshipful of God. Then in 1761, when John Wesley was 88 years old, lying on his bed, weak and about to go back to the maker, with all his strength, he got up from the bed and he sang that hymn, I will praise my maker all my life. And he remembered the conversation with a poor porter 67 years ago. A heart after God, always praising, always worshiping Him. Friends, when we come to church, Let's have that heart to praise God, to worship God. It's not just going through the motion of singing. Jesus says, those people, they worship me with their mouths, but their heart is not there. Unlike that Potter, unlike John Wesley, unlike David, who just wants to worship God. And when God sees that heart, He blesses you. Habit of trusting God. David trusted God no matter what. Oh, you read his life. He was in difficult situation. Worse than any one of us have ever gone through, but he learned from an early age to trust God. From the time when he had to take care of his father's sheep, he had to trust God to kill the lion, to kill the bear. Before he encountered Goliath, and says, when I was young, when I was taking care of my father's sheep, I tore that lion, I tore that bear. I trusted God. He delivered me and he's going to deliver you, Goliath, into my hands. He trusted God. 
No matter what the situation is, how difficult, how impossible it is. And in his family, oh, he was a horrendous family. Our sibling rivalries, when you go back for Chinese New Year, is nothing compared to the, to the, to the horrendous you know, uh, happenings in his family. His own son plotted against him, took over the throne. And there was one thing after another in the family, and yet he trusted God. He trusted God. So many times you have to run away from Saul, who was wanting to kill him. At one time, he has, to, he, he, he has to be a psychiatric patient just to save his own life. Oh, terrible things he has gone through, but he trusted God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. No matter what you are going through, brothers and sisters, you can trust the Lord with all your heart. Somebody say amen. amen. And that's the heart that is after God. A habit of repentance. David knew how to repent. He was not perfect. He sinned. He was recorded forever in the book of, in the, in the word of the Lord. He sinned against Uriah, the Hittite. The sin against uh, with Bathsheba. And when Nathan confronted him, David, you are that man. What did David do? Did he deny? No. He said, Yes, it's me. I've fallen. I repent. God forgave, although he had to pay the consequences of that sin. The child died. You know the story. But he knew how to repent. And when he sinned against God by the census that he took, the prophet told him, don't take the census, but he did. And finally, the prophet says, I give you three choices, three punishments. Which one will you choose? And David says, let me fall into the hands of Almighty God rather than fall into the hands of man because there I will find mercy. He knew how to repent and come back. Compare that with Saul. Why is Saul's heart not perfect? Saul, when he sinned against God, Samuel came and said, why are you offering the offering? Oh, he gave excuses. Samuel, is your fault. You are late. I waited. You are late. And when Samuel asked him, why have you not killed the enemies? Oh, I'm reserving all the best for the Lord. Deceitful heart. He Saul never knew the word repentance. That's why God rejected him. But David, he knows how to run to God and find mercies in God. A man after God's own heart doesn't mean it's a perfect heart. But he knows how to run back to God and find mercies and grace. And it is a habit of service. Lastly, it's a habit of service. Acts chapter 13, verse 36, David served the purpose of God in his generation. And you know, God has such confidence in David. In verse 22, Acts chapter 13, God says of David, he is a man after my own heart and he will do all 
of my will. Whatever I want him to do, he will do. Wow! What a testimony. God trusted David. David will do all the will of God. And indeed he did. The way he runs the government. The way he set up the temple worship. The way he brings back the ark of God to Jerusalem. Everything according to what God wants him to do. And after he has done everything, Bible says, David served the purpose of God in his generation. Brothers and sisters, that's all I want to do in my life. To serve the purpose of God in my generation. And while I'm in glad tidings, to serve the purpose of God for me in glad tidings. God has a purpose for your life. A life of service. Serve Him with all your heart, whatever ministry it is, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. God has a purpose for each and every one of you. And a heart after God will be a heart that desires to serve God and do all His will. You can have that heart. So how's your heart? It is the most important thing. It is a pro- the number one problem. At the same time, God has resolved that problem and given us a new heart. And now, how's your heart? Cultivate the habits, develop the habits of a heart after God by seeking after Him, trusting Him in repentance and in service unto the Lord. Let's pray.